It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. The only thing necessary for evil to prevail that good men and women do nothing. I am simply a mouthpiece for good people from around the world who want to make a difference. Engagement and the involvement of ordinary people is what is going to change our criminal justice system. Many have tried and failed. The only difference between them and me is I'm bringing an army with me. This is Truth and Justice. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Truth and Justice. This is your Friday follow-up episode for episode number 403, Recantation. I'm your host, Bob Ruff. And I'm your co-host, Mike Bussing. In episode 403, you heard the entire uncut, unedited interview with the jailhouse snitch that testified in George Powell's trial. As you recall, for safety reasons, we're referring to this man simply as Mr. Smith. In episode 403, we got to hear firsthand from Mr. Smith the entire story from beginning to middle to end as to how and why he testified against George Powell at his trial, saying that George had confessed to him. There's a lot of movement going on right now with the George Powell case, including what happened with Mr. Smith at George's PCR hearing. So I thought today we'd get through a couple listener questions, and then we'll bring on Allison Clayton of the Innocence Project of Texas to give us a clear picture of what's going on in George's case. That sounds good. So let's get right into those listener questions. Jenny on the fan page asks, After listening to Sunday's episode, I'm wondering how Mr. Smith was a believable witness. He sounds like he really does regret what he did, but it also sounds like he's still getting in trouble with the law. Could the defense have brought up his criminal history to show his lack of credibility? Well, Jenny, that's a really good question, and you're not the only one that had it. But the issue here is, as it is in most cases that involve a jailhouse snitch, is by definition, we're dealing with someone who has problems with the law. And I'm with you, Jenny. I'm I'm really baffled every single time I read a jailhouse snitch's testimony when I find out that a jury actually bought it. And I believe we've mentioned this before, but, you know, I've said it before and I'll say it again. I don't think jailhouse snitch testimony should ever be allowed in court unless there's some kind of corroborating evidence. When you're dealing with a jailhouse snitch as opposed to any other witness, you're dealing with someone with nothing to lose and everything to gain, and there's almost always some kind of a deal cut with the prosecution in exchange for their testimony, whether that deal is put down on paper or it's just implied. But I think what you're getting at, Jenny, is, like I just said, how did the jury believe him? I mean, it's easy in any other case to attack a witness's credibility by bringing up their past. It's a common practice to impeach witnesses. Well, in this case, you have someone that you know was in jail for committing a crime, which you would think would make them someone who was hard to believe. But unfortunately, that just never seems to be the case. Look at Kenny Snow in Edward Aid's case, Shyster Jackson in Carrie Max Cook's case, 
and Mr. Smith and George Powell's case. So I guess the short answer to that question is, I really don't know why the jury bought his testimony. And I believe the defense did, of course, bring up his criminal past in order to try to impeach him, but it just didn't make a difference. And then you add to the problem when you consider that a lot of times it's not allowed in court to bring up someone's criminal past. A judge may rule that it's not relevant to the testimony and disbar it from being brought up. Well, hopefully some point we get some legislation to put an end to these jailhouse snitch testimonies then. Now, Bob, I got one more question I want to ask you from a listener. Abby on Twitter asks, did Mr. Smith confess to another instance of perjury to the, quote, military guy? Yeah, several people asked the same question, and it was a little confusing when Mr. Smith was explaining this in his interview. So what happened was he was all prepared to go ahead and provide testimony against the, quote, military guy, but it never ended up happening because the, quote, military guy ended up taking a plea bargain. He pled guilty for a lessened sentence, so there was no trial, so he never had to testify. So technically, he didn't commit any perjury there, but it is interesting to know, as far as the character of the man, that he was all set up to go do the exact same thing against someone else, as he said, to help bring him in better favor to the prosecution in hopes for a lesser sentence himself. And circumstances just happened that he never ended up having to testify. So no, he didn't actually testify against a military guy, but that's not for lack of trying. That's only because military guy ended up pleading out. And the last thing I want to bring up real quick is just a suggestion on how we post things on the fan page. Yeah, this has come up a couple of times, so I thought we'd address it here on the show. I know we've brought it up on the fan page itself, and we may have even mentioned it here on the follow before. I think we did, in fact. But just as a reminder, when you're posting questions or comments on the fan page, please, in the first line, put the episode number that you're referring to. So in your post, if you have a question about episode 403, in the first line, just type episode 403, then go down and ask your question or make your post or make your statement or whatever you have to say. But what that does is, number one, it helps people that are behind and haven't quite caught up to the current episode avoid spoilers. It helps us if we're trying to look through and see what people are saying about particular episodes, even preparing for the Friday follow-ups. And for other listeners who have questions, to be able to scan through very quickly the post on the fan page to find the post about a specific episode that they're looking for. So that's it. Just real quick, if you guys could do that, whenever you post on the fan page, just put the episode number in the first line so that it can be quickly found by anybody searching for it, us or other listeners. All right, we'll take a quick break here for the ads, then we'll bring on Allison Clayton. Today's episode is sponsored in part by Stamps.com. Stamps.com will save you time and money, which you can use to grow your business. We use Stamps.com here in the office almost daily, and it is a huge time and money saver. We can mail any letter, any package, using just our computer and printer, and the mail carrier picks it up, and we're done. That's it. We never have to leave the office, never have to drive across town, never have to wait in lines. We avoid all the hassles of the post office and mail everything from postcards to envelopes to packages, domestic or international, right here from the office. And you can create your Stamps.com account in minutes online with no equipment to lease and no long-term commitments. Just click, print, mail, and you're done. And unlike the post office, Stamps.com never closes. You can print postage for letters or packages at your convenience 24-7. Stamps.com brings all the services of the U.S. Postal Service right to your fingertips. You can buy and print official U.S. postage for any letter, any package, any class of mail using your own computer and printer. And Stamps.com makes it super easy to do that. They're going to send you a digital scale that automatically calculates the exact postage you need. No more guesswork. 
and they'll even help you decide the best class of mail based on your needs. And you don't have to lease an expensive postage meter. We use Stamps.com every day because it's convenient, easy, reliable, and flexible. And right now, you too can enjoy the Stamps.com service with a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus postage, and a digital scale, without long-term commitments. Just go to Stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in TRUTH. That's Stamps.com. Enter TRUTH. Stamps.com. Never go to the post office again. If you're a fan of Truth and Justice, you probably love true crime podcasts, just like us. But what about cults? Mystery, manipulation, murder, cults are associated with all of these. But what really goes on inside of a cult? More specifically, what is the psychology behind cults and what goes on inside the minds of people who join cults and leaders who start them? And what's their story? If this interests you, like it interests me, let me recommend a new podcast to you. It's called Cults. Cults answers all of these questions and more. Each episode of Cults aims to explore the biographical profile of a cult's leader or leaders and how people can be persuaded and manipulated into not only joining a cult, but even to commit horrible crimes. The hosts analyze evidence, share real audio tapes from cult leaders and members, and their team of researchers bring to light the little-known facts about each cult as they analyze their stories. You can check out episodes covering the Manson family and Heaven's Gate now. And with a new episode coming out every Tuesday, you can expect episodes on the People's Temple and many, many more. Just visit Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you listen to podcasts and search for Cults. Again, that's Cults, C-U-L-T-S. Or you can just visit Parcast.com slash Cults to start listening now. That's Parcast, P-A-R-C-A-S-T dot com slash Cults to listen now. Hey, Allison, how are you? Hey, how's it going? I'm I'm doing well, thanks. Doing really well, and I know you're you're pressed for time, but we, we're getting a lot of questions, Allison, on George's case as far as what is going on with his post-conviction relief hearings. Uh, we interviewed, and actually they're going to be out of order, so I guess for the listeners, as a heads up, you're going to hear on Sunday Tamara, George's fiance, telling us that there's a hearing coming tomorrow. Uh, but that was, in fact, yesterday now. So Allison's got some of those answers already for us. But um, a little confusing because you guys had uh, a day in court uh, in September, and then we didn't finish, so that was continued, and we'd heard there's going to be a date of November 9th. But then George was back in court again yesterday, right? So can you give us kind of a an update as far as what went on in that first hearing, uh, from your perspective, what it's done good or bad for George's case, what went on yesterday, and what we can expect in the future. Absolutely. And just so we're clear on everything, there was a hearing on September the 18th. Uh, there was a hearing yesterday, which I guess would be October, would have been October 3rd. There's another one planned um, for later in this month. And then there's one more that I know of that's planned in November. So we still have a, a series of hearings that we have to go through in George's case. And the reason for that is because there, there are a lot of moving parts in George's case, and it's kind of difficult to get everybody in court on the same day. It's kind of like herding cats. So we just have to have a whole bunch of hearings kind of spread out to accommodate different people's schedules. Do these hearings all, are they all part of one hearing? I guess I don't know if that's the right terminology I'm using, but... Are they just, they're breaking up this post-conviction relief hearing into multiple days? Or are they completely separate issues each time? No, it's all, it's all off of our request for habeas relief. 
So it's just, it's, it's all dealing with that one request for relief. It's just different aspects of that request and then of our claims. Okay. So that September 18th hearing, uh, that's when everything began. So what, what went on at that? Because you were actually at that hearing, right? Yes, I was at that hearing with my students from the clinic at the tech. At the September 18th hearing, there were quite a few witnesses that testified. The detective who investigated the case that George was ultimately convicted on testified. Some district attorneys who were involved in the jailhouse informants cases testified. There was a really good expert in memory and how the human mind recalls events. He kind of explained to the court how that worked, and he testified. And there were some arguments that were made about some relevant issues to the case. All of those things happened on September 18th. Okay, now the the memory expert, that was put on by George's defense, right? Yes, we're the ones who put on the memory expert. Okay, and what was the, the purpose of his testimony? He really explained how it is that the mind recollects events. So the highlights from his testimony is that if you're recalling a traumatic experience, there are certain things that you can rely upon that your mind creates or that, that you remember and certain things that aren't as reliable. So, for example, when you're recalling information about a person, you can remember their height, right? You know, you'll say this person was, you know, five foot seven or five foot eight. And the expert testified that if a person is within a certain number of inches of your own height, then you have your own height as a fixed point. And that if your recollection of that person's height is similar to your own height, then that recollection is, is likely to be very reliable. Whereas, you know, if, if you are five foot, then you lose accuracy of the height estimation if the person's going to be, you know, five foot 11 or six foot. You don't have that fixed point um, that's close to your own height. And so the point of his testimony was to say that these other people who were saying, that the robber was, you know, around five foot six, five foot seven, five foot eight. All of these people were about that same height, so that their their recollection is highly reliable. So he explained and really gave validity to all these other all these people who had said that this is what the robber's height was. And then he also explained some things, you know, about how whenever you have a gun in your face, that's what you're going to remember. That's what your focus is going to be on not necessarily the person's face, you know, those kinds of things that he testified about. Right. And we we got into a little bit of that in, I think, last week's follow-up or the week before, because when we were going through Melissa Keene's statement, the clerk at the 7-Eleven, you know, she had said that, you know, she noticed the the shape of the lips and the facial features and the cheekbones, but then also described the gun that he was pointing at her. And then we went through the video, and it was like she was only ever even looking the same direction as him for about two seconds. And part of that time, she obviously was looking at the gun because she described the gun. Uh, and, and so I, th- I think that's accurate or to the point of what he was saying, that if you're you know in a traumatic experience, someone's pointing a gun at you, you're probably looking at the gun, not looking at their face. Right. Yeah, no, that was that was a really good analysis, too, that you did on that, by the way. I, I thought that that was really good uh, spot-on analysis that you presented. I think it was not last week, but the week before. But yeah, he, he test, oh, that, that testimony was all in line with what your analysis had been. Okay, great. But it was just explaining that to the court. You know, you, you can't just uh, assume that a court's going to have that kind of knowledge. You really need to have an expert to explain how those things work, to give validity to, to your arguments. Okay, great. And then you, we also had 
what we just this last week's episode we played the audio of who we're calling Mr. Smith, the jailhouse snitch's testimony or interview when he recanted his testimony. And there was an issue with him at that hearing, right? That, that his his affidavit that he wrote had been put into the record and he was video conferencing in to testify and then he ended up not testifying, right? What ha- what happened there? I'm not entirely sure what happened with him, just as in as much as what he was thinking. I know, though, that he was supposed to video conference in. We, in fact, did video conference in to his unit of incarceration. And he very quickly expressed concern about testifying. He said he wasn't going to testify. He got up and left. Okay, and there was no explanation as to why? Zero explanation as to why. Do you know or does anyone know if, he had been threatened at all with perjury charges because, I mean, not not as anything, you know, maniacal that someone would be doing, but technically if he's giving a different story than he gave under oath before, then it would be perjury. It, do you know if that was, if, if that threat had been made or if, if it had been pointed out to him that those charges could be pursued for perjury? I'm not sure what all he was told, but it is accurate that by him testifying and changing his story from what his original trial testimony was that he, in fact, did open himself up to some pretty serious aggravated perjury charges. Okay. So maybe that may have, that's just me speculating that maybe that had something to do with him backing out of it. Now, with that being said, do we know yet if his affidavit and the audio recording and transcript of his recantation, has that been entered into the record and will that be considered as evidence even though he didn't testify? Yes. At the hearing yesterday, the court formally admitted his audio recorded statement and the transcript of that statement into evidence. I don't know how much weight the trial judge will give it, but it is formally admitted into evidence. So now it's part of the record of George's habeas proceedings. Okay. Well, and hopefully they'll consider it some because really the state's case only had four major points and he was one of them. So I would hope that that would have, a, have an effect on the trial judge, at least to some extent. I hope so. I mean, he, the, the state's case against George had, you know, three or four main pillars, and he was a pillar of their case. And his, I know that we've all listened to it now, and his recantation is very powerful, in my opinion. I, I mean, I believe him, and what he says makes sense to me. And so I certainly hope that it's taken very seriously, as seriously as I believe it should be taken, because I think it's genuine. I think you'd be hard-pressed to listen to the recording of his recantation and not believe it. Yeah, and, and along those lines, I know from from our perspective as layman's that it sounded believable. But from an attorney's perspective, what was it about his recantation, in your opinion, that made it so powerful? To me, it was the details. Right. So we always wonder how is it that they got this information, and what he was saying about how they were housed and how it was that he was gaining access to case information, all, all of that makes sense with my own knowledge of how people are housed and how attorneys communicate with their clients and the things that will motivate a person, right? So, so the informant was saying that he was very scared by the large numbers that we face in Texas. And, you know, that's something that you hear over and over again. So I know that that's a very big fear among people facing trial is these gigantic numbers that these Texas juries hand down. So it was a variety of things, but but honestly, I guess the power for me and the recantation was the fact that I independently can corroborate the things that he's saying and those details about what he's saying, I believe them. 
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from, with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Right. And, you know, and I always question any jailhouse informant or jailhouse snitch. What are the, you know, what you always hear from, you know, talking to to Jesse and Ed and George and uh, other inmates that I've spoken with that have spent time in prison or are currently serving in prison you know, they say everybody's innocent in there. Everybody's always saying they're innocent. Uh, I think I think Jesse had told me if you went and you know asked thirty people in the room who was innocent, all thirty of them would say they're innocent, and probably one or two of them actually are. So it just seems so odd to me why somebody's in jail awaiting their trial to fight for their freedom and their innocence that they would sit down and then just start spilling the beans and and and, and confessing to some stranger they met in a jail cell. It just it just is never ever made sense to me. Uh, but I, I'm with you, the recantation audio, that that's the only thing that he's ever said that did make sense. Right. And that was completely unprompted. He had no reason, no reason to say any of that stuff. No one reached out to him. He just spontaneously did that for no reason or no motivation. That carries a good double plate, too. And back, hey, back to what you were saying a second ago. So I do this CLE presentation on jailhouse informant. And, you know, I, I go around Texas and I've made this presentation more than a few times. And in the presentation, I always tell the audience, I ask the audience, you know, think of the deepest, darkest secret that you have. And sometimes it's, it's been in front of, you know, a bunch of judges or police officers, people who aren't necessarily defense attorneys. And so, you know, I, I can't presume that they have deep, dark secrets because I'm sure they're all wonderful and they've led perfect lives. So I just say, you know, think of the worst deep, dark secret that a person could ever possibly have and imagine that you're thrown into jail with a bunch of strangers say you know you're put into a jail with people in this room that you don't even know are you going to tell them that deep dark secret is that something that you would do does that make sense and you can always feel the discomfort of the audience when they're thinking about their deep dark secret and thinking i would i would never share that with a total stranger that on a very human level that doesn't make sense and yet, this is what's sending people sending people away on this kind of testimony is something that if you just break it down and you put it on a human level, doesn't make sense. But all of a sudden, it's the state doing it, and it's in a courtroom, and people just blindly accept it. And I don't understand it, but that's what we see over and over again. Now, that leads into something I brought up a couple of times, and, and you'd be able to answer this. I, I feel like I remember reading or hearing about somewhere that Texas specifically was working on legislation regarding jailhouse snitches. Is that correct? Yes. No, that's correct. That's, in fact, an Innocence Project of Texas legislation. That's legislation that IPTX got pushed through in the last legislative session. And it's a wonderful bill. It's House Bill 16 uh, that 
basically has a couple of really important requirements. I mean, it's a great bill, but the highlights of it are now at least whenever a person acts as a jailhouse informant, we have to, I say we, it's the prosecutor's offices have to start keeping a record of, you know, the number of times that this person has testified and what their testimony was because we see, at least in innocence work, that people will kind of become career snitches. So no one's ever really kept a record of that before in Texas. So the, the new bill requires people to keep a record of it. And in my opinion, the, the best aspect of the bill is that it requires all interrogations with jailhouse informants to be recorded, which is great because we have these cases. And time and time again, we hear prosecutors say, how would the informant have known this? How would they have known you know, the specific detail of the case? And the answer that we'll come to find out is since the cop told them, maybe not intentionally, but, you know, that's, that's how they found out is, is the cop told them. Or, like in this case, the informant was able to sneak the information, essentially, that the attorneys had disclosed to their client. But it's, it's going to be great now if we can have those interrogations reported because then we know exactly what information the informant has received during the course of the interrogation. I mean, we've all seen those interrogations. The one that most people have probably seen is the interrogation of Brandon Dassey where the person conducting the interview kind of let slip the biggest detail of, of the case. And, you know, we never have assurances about how this person came up with this information. But now that the interviews are going to have to be recorded, the hope is at least that we'll have a lot more transparency in exactly what it was that these people were told during the course of speaking with the law enforcement. I feel like there was some something to do with the legislation that required there to be some sort of corroborating evidence in order to allow a jailhouse informant's testimony to come in at trial. Uh, am I imagining that, or is that part of it? Oh, no. So that's not part of the bill. That was a law that was passed a couple of years ago in Texas. But that that's already been in effect for the past couple of years. And that's exactly what it says is if it's a jailhouse informant, that there has to be pieces of evidence that will independently corroborate their testimony. And that the jury has to be instructed. Essentially, you cannot rely upon this person's testimony alone. It has to have some kind of cooperation. That was a legislative recognition that jailhouse informant testimony is inherently unreliable and that it is so unreliable that we have to specifically tell the jury, you are to treat this testimony as though it is inherently unreliable. You cannot believe it unless it is independently cooperated. So that's a wonderful wall that we have that got passed a couple of years back. It's not part of the most recent round of reforms, but it's one that we're just recently enacted. Awesome. Well, that's one of the reasons we like working with the Innocence Project of Texas, because you guys are not just uh, representing these people, but you're really pushing and lobbying to, to make some serious criminal justice reform in Texas. Yes, that's a large part of our mandate, is to be reactive and proactive. Yeah, and that's awesome. And all right, so moving forward... Uh, without getting too deeply into the weeds in that first day of the hearing, the, the hearing that happened yesterday, which was kind of impromptu, I didn't, I, I matter of fact, I found out about it just the night before talking to Tamara, uh, that George went back into court yesterday for just like a half a day. So what went on? I know you weren't there, but I think you, you got updated. What went on at the hearing yesterday? It's my understanding that the big three essentially from yesterday's hearing was Melissa King, uh, was flown in by the state, and she testified. Uh, her testimony was largely a reiteration of her trial testimony. She said that that was indeed George who had robbed her, and she really just doubled down on her initial testimony. 
Uh, the second big thing that happened was the court formally allowed in the jailhouse informants recorded statements and the transcript of those, which we've already talked about. And then the third thing that happened is the court said that it would allow our expert, Grant Fredericks, to testify at a later date. The state had not been willing to just agree to allow that testimony. It opposed us in getting that testimony in. It didn't want our expert to testify on the record, and it did not want its expert to be submitted to cross-examination and to testify in front of the court. And so it was a big a, a good victory for us yesterday whenever the court said that at least, and as much as we're concerned, we can present uh, Grant Fredericks to testify. Well, that's awesome. And that's um, part of what I was mentioning at the beginning of our conversation, that this will be a little out of order for you guys, the listeners, because you're going to hear on Sunday, Tamara, talk about how the state is opposing these things and we don't know what's going to happen. So spoiler alert, this is what happens, <laughs> is that... Uh, <laughs> uh, because Now, now because the state, if I understood you correctly, and, and I read some of the briefs that you had sent me, the state was opposing Grant Fredericks to testify at all. And then also you guys had tried to, if I have the phraseology correct, you asked the the judge to compel the state to put Michael Knox, the original photogrammetry expert, on the stand, right? Correct. Okay. And then the ruling yesterday was that you can put Grant Fredericks on the stand, but did they rule on the on Michael Knox? No, we do not have a formal ruling one way or the other on Mr. Knox's testimony. But we would very much like to get him on the stand. Yeah, I'm sure. I would I would personally love for the judge to hear Grant Frederick's testimony and then have Michael Knox get cross-examined. Um, but it sounds like the state doesn't want to do that. So strategy-wise, and, and it's I know that's different for every attorney, but I guess in, in your opinion, it's it just seems to me like the state's boxing themselves into a corner. Like they're so afraid. It seems like they are so afraid of... Grant Frederick's testimony that they won't, eat. you know, you, you would think that if Michael Knox was such a great expert in photogrammetry, they'd want to put him up to defend his case. But what do you think about the strategy about them, about them leaving Michael Knox out of it? You know, I never want to short sell my opponent or, you know, a, a colleague. If they have some strategy that they're working, I don't understand what it is. I know for me as, as an attorney, if I have an expert, I want him to testify. I, I'm, I'm begging the court, please hear what he has to say, because as soon as you hear what he has to say, you're going to be convinced. That's my strategy. That is not the state strategy. I don't understand what they're afraid of. I spoke with Grant Fredericks earlier this week, and I understand what they're afraid of. <laughs> <laughs> right. I was, I was being pretty generous there. I understand. I think I understand what they're afraid of, but you know, I don't want to be presumptuous. Maybe there's something else going on that I haven't considered yet. But I think I know what Mr. Knox's testimony is going to be, and I think the state should be concerned about having him as a live witness. Yeah, and, and I know you can't speak to this, so I'm just going to go on a, a bit of a rant for a second and just say that I am personally disappointed and bordering on disgusted by the fact that the state is fighting this. In my opinion, following what's going on with George's case, this prosecutor is making who we thought the previous administrations in Smith County seem generous almost or, or to seem more fair in, in the fact that, and now I'm, I'm, I'm trying to be very careful with what I'm saying and I'm probably not doing a good job of it, but I, I will say right now, I guess what I'll say right now is Matt Bingham in Smith County right now, despite everything that we've been through or I've been through with him and Ed and everybody's been through with him is at least agreeing to try to find the truth. And it just seems like in this case in Bell County, 
the truth is staring them right in the face and they're just fighting it tooth and nail. And it's just they're not doing their job to uphold justice. They're just they're they're just fighting a battle for the sake of fighting it. And I will not ask you to comment on that at all. Um, I'll move right along past that. <laughs> yeah, thanks, because, you know, I'm, I'm not going to comment on that. Although I will say it's, it's interesting to see in innocence work, you see kind of a spectrum of district attorneys, of prosecutors in general. And you, you have everything from the absolutely we're going to double down on this, no matter how little sense it makes, no matter how ridiculous we look in the process. Absolutely, we will not do anything at all to help this person. And we don't care whether this person is innocent or not. And then you have it all the way over to the scale of, oh, my goodness, is this a good conviction? And if there's anything we can do in testing the, the validity of this conviction, we're on board. So it's, it's interesting, you know, you, you have the entire gambit of district attorneys and, you know, Texas has a ridiculous number of counties. So they fall kind of all in between. Yeah. And, and, and we're seeing that just in the, the few cases that you and I have worked together, you know, in Dallas with Jesse Eldridge. I mean, we couldn't ask for a better situation than Cynthia Garza and its conviction integrity unit, you know, just, just put I mean, just driving the train to find out if Jesse Eldridge is innocent or guilty and to find out whether he, there was, in fact, integrity in his conviction. Um, and then, like I said, in Smith County, I mean, I personally, I, I will go on the record and say this. I personally believe, despite all of the the issues that I've had in the past, I personally believe that if evidence comes forward showing that Edward Eights is innocent through DNA testing or otherwise, I believe that Matt Bingham would stand behind releasing him from prison. And And when I compare that to what I'm seeing here, where Grant Frederick's report itself should be enough when you have an actual expert saying there's just no there's just no possibility that this guy that George Powell robbed the store and they're still fighting is just is just kind of sickening to me and I hope the voters in that county remember this or hear this before the next election comes up because pe what people need to remember is this could easily be very easily be you or one of your loved ones that are in George Powell's position well, that's true. People, that's one thing I tell people they ask, at least in Texas, but really all around the nation, what can I do to help? That's the number one thing. Know who it is you're voting for. I mean, you're putting these people in positions of power. It's, it's in your hands. At least in, in Texas it is. You know, we have elected officials. And so, I mean, you know what you can do? Be an engaged citizen uh, and, and understand who it is you're voting for. But, you know, I have to be, I have to be fair and, and, and say, you know, the district attorneys in these cases have a lot that they have to juggle. Because, you know, the district attorney, in this case at least, has Melissa Keene, who is saying, this man is the man who robbed me. And, you know, for him to, to side with us would be for him to tell her, you're wrong. And that might be a very difficult thing for him to do. I mean, I don't know. And, and like I say, I don't want to presume anything. It's just important to remember that there's a lot of aspects to these cases. In our aspect, of course, we, we know. I mean, we know in some of these cases, for sure, that our client's innocent, but we, we can't discount the district attorney's positions that they're in, too. Sure. And, and speaking of Melissa Keene, so she comes in yesterday and doubles down and says, yes, that's absolutely him. What does that do for an actual innocence claim? I mean, I know it's nothing different exactly what she said at trial, but does is that going to have it has to have some kind of negative effect? Is it going to be? Um, I, I know there's a, there's what they call you know the, the Herculean burden of actual innocence is the fact that one of the stanchions of the state's case being her eyewitness identification and her doubling down on that, what does that do for George? You know, it doesn't really actively hurt us. We're not in any different of a position than we were in before. It doesn't help. That's for sure. 
it's something that victims will do once they get this idea in their head. They get married to the idea that this is the person who did this to me, and they will steadfastly repeat it again and again and again, and that is their truth. Even if that's not reality, that's, that's their truth. So it's difficult with Ms. King's just steadfast reliance on her prior testimony, even though we know that that testimony, we believe at least, was not an accurate recollection. I mean, I don't think anyone thinks that, that she's lying. I think she just really, really, really believes this. It's not necessarily a difficult position. It's just really unfortunate. Yeah, and I agree, too. I, I don't think that Melissa Keene is lying by any means. I think that, you know, like you said, that this is her truth. That's what she believes happened. You know, And there, it also has to weigh on your mind over time when you realize we're in the position we're in right now where she's being told there's a possibility that you identified the wrong person and an innocent man has been in prison for all these years. That has to have some kind of even subconsciously effect on your mind. If, if I if I am wrong, then I just did something and she didn't do it on purpose, but I did something terrible. And I think that'd be hard to get past that to even convince your own mind that maybe you were wrong. Um, but we'll move on past that. I know that you're already probably getting close to being late for teaching class. Um, but you had mentioned to me that you wanted to touch on the donations and the DNA testing and stuff that uh, we did last month. Yeah, I, I wanted to take a moment to come on and just say thank you. So much from the bottom of our hearts for all of the donations that we received, for everyone who donated money. Thank you so much. That generosity that you showed went really above and beyond. And I don't know why I would ever be surprised ever by the generosity of the Truth and Justice Army at this point, because we know that it's an incredible crowd. But just to see that kind of outreach and support is really, really heartwarming. Because of the support of the Truth and Justice Army, we were able to fully fund all of the DNA testing so far in Jesse's case. And we have a little bit left over for some additional DNA testing that we're going to be doing. I can't thank you enough. Thank you. Truth and Justice is a production of NBI Studios. Michael Bussing is our executive producer, and all music for the show was created by PutThemInASong.com. I want to thank Amanda Meyer for designing and creating our Friday follow-up logo. Thank you to Chris Brinkley of SylviaConsultants.com for designing, creating, managing, and maintaining our website. I also want to thank our transcription team, Britta Bliss, Anna Dindorf, Stephanie McConnell, and Sarah Mueller. And thank you to Desiree Dunn for printing off and mailing the transcripts. And as always, thank you to all of you for all of your engagement and support. Keep sending in your thoughts, theories, and ideas to theories at truthandjusticepod.com. You can like our Facebook page or follow us on Twitter at truthjusticepod. However you do it, stay engaged, stay in touch. But as for now, we're signing off. I'm Bob Ruff. And I'm Mike Bussing. And this has been Truth and Justice.
Say what? Say I'm Batman. I'm Batman. <laughs> All right, do it again one more time. I'm Batman. Yeah, you really sound like Batman. This is truth and justice. What if I was just like, this is truth and justice? <laughs> Did you throw a lisp in there? I don't. I didn't mean to. Uh, this is truth and justice. That's that's not cool, man. You gotta have the Batman voice, the radio voice. This is truth and justice, like that. Right. Batman voice. Say crime doesn't pay. <laughs> what? what? Say crime doesn't pay. <laughs> what is there a purpose? You sound like Batman. I just I want to hear Batman. Crime does not pay. Not <laughs> do I do I abbreviate it? Oh yeah, it doesn't. Crime doesn't pay. Yeah. Does he say that? I'm sure he says that. Yeah. You know what does he say? Like bang, pow. You know, that's <laughs> the Batman I like. Right. Well, he doesn't say that. Those are sound effects. Oh right. What does? Let's ba- go, Robin. <laughs> Get in the Batmobile. <laughs> you know, like that. I don't know. That doesn't sound right. You're going to pay for that, Joker. There. <laughs> the joke's on you, Joker. <laughs> well, we're going to get in trouble for copyright. I got a riddle for you, Riddler. <laughs> right. What did the Riddler say when he met the Batman? Ouch. He said, ouch. Uh, right, after he got punched. Yeah. Okay. Bang. Pow. Yeah. Right. You really stepped up to the plate with some of those lines. To the Batcave. Yeah, 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 it's good stuff. Yep, let's hang on. Skip, shut up. Oh, sorry about that. <laughs> You've worked hard for what you have. Your money, your assets, your 401k, and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com aware. Terms apply.